Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is brought to you by Safe Ireland and Airbnb, working in partnership to support domestic violence survivors across Ireland. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. This week, as you all know, Ashling Murphy, the 23-year-old Tullamore woman who was murdered as she went for a run by the canal near her home, was buried by her family. The entire country, it feels like, has been, whether in conversations around the dinner table or at vigils by candlelight, we've been grieving and reflecting on the issues around male violence against women. We've been talking about the causes, looking at the patterns and the culture behind it. And in the doll yesterday, Miriam Lord was watching as Ashling Murphy's murder was described by politicians as yet another watershed moment in a struggle to end men's violence against women, a struggle that's been going on for decades with various government strategies and task forces and legislation, with none of it seeming to make much of a difference. And Miriam Lord, in her own exceptional way in the Irish Times today, is pointing at that inertia. She writes, Bloody typical. You spend years talking about watersheds and then none of them come along at once. But that's always been the way. No wonder speakers on the unvarnished subject of violence against women sounded doubtful about what exactly will result from the latest round of government commitments sincerely announced in the wake of the latest crime to shock the nation. And who can blame them? Down through the years, the promises made on the floor of the doll have been many, but the track record poor. Maybe this time it will be different. Another woman dead. Another national outpouring another round of TDs solemnly and resolutely announcing a watershed moment. They didn't do this for the optics. On Wednesday, every politician who stood up in the chamber to declare the death of Ashling Murphy as the beginning of a major turning point in the state's strategy against gender-based violence meant every word that they said. On this issue, they always do. As a compelling and occasionally heart-gripping session drew to a close, Galway's Catherine Connolly added her voice to the overwhelmingly female chorus of hope against hope. And yes, maybe this time things will be different. But once sensed, she won't be holding her breath. Time and again, watershed moments have been declared on the floor of the doll following a particularly heinous act, resulting in little action down the road. So we wanted to talk about that today about whether this really is a watershed moment and whether it might mean something, whether it might mean that things are going to change. And joining us today to discuss that were examiner columnist Alison O'Connor, Professor of Psychology at the University of Limerick, Orla Muldoon, final year law student Inieki Olu and Marketing Director of Core Finian Murphy. At the extreme end of this conversation, We are thinking, of course, about Ashling Murphy and about some of the other, the 244 women who have been murdered in Ireland since 1996. And those names will be familiar to you. Nadine Lott, Uran Setseg Sarandorja, Michaela Davis, Anna Kregel, Manuela Riedo. And the list goes on and on. So today we're talking about all the aspects of Irish and global society that underpins this male violence against women. And we're asking if this latest watershed is going to be the one that makes a difference in Ireland. I began by asking Alison O'Connor about her observations on watching proceedings in the Dáil yesterday. 
You know, Roisin, I'm feeling more hopeful today. Uh, before uh, watching uh, the doll proceedings yesterday, I um, I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning it. I um, met Alva Smith for a, a coffee, the very well-known campaigner who has so many uh, campaigns under her belt. And I was saying, oh, I don't know, Alva. I feel very kind of, you know, will it be just be the same all over again? Will something really happen out of this? And, um, you know, Alva basically said to me, you know, in a, in a very polite way, um, you know, Alison, pull yourself up by your bootstraps here. You know, you, you, we have to be resilient in this. We have to take this moment for what it is and for all the opportunities that it presents and not to be falling at the first hurdle and thinking, oh, God, nothing is going to change. So that was the first thing that gave me pep in my step. Uh, and no better woman to do that for me. And then, you know, I'm a long time watching proceedings in the doll. You normally tune in and it is overwhelmingly male. It was even that the doll opened. It was the first time they were back after Christmas and it opened with two female voices. The first two voices were female. The last Kian Corla uh, was in the chair, Catherine Connolly, the Galway TD, who always speaks so well on these issues anyway, and expressed um, the condolences of the house to uh, the Murphy family. And um, then Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin leader, spoke and, and spoke really well and spoke about, she talked about the internalised misogyny in, a, in Irish society. And then the Taoiseach spoke. And I suppose one of the things I was writing about myself was, this is a man now who has less than a year left in office, less than a year in power. And what a legacy for him to leave behind if this new plan that's coming out uh, on violence you know, gender-based violence, sexual violence in a couple of weeks' time uh, by the government, that if that was his stamp and that he made sure that all of that was completely bedded down securely before he walks out of the Department of the Taoiseach um, next December, wouldn't that be quite something? And you have in the doll, you have 160 deputies, 37 of those are women. I don't think all of them were in there. And there's distancing issues, to be fair. I saw, you know, people saying, why weren't there more men? But an awful lot of those women spoke and they spoke of their own experiences. And there was a real feeling of raw emotion. And um, I'm sure even at times some of their male colleagues um, were surprised at that. Some of them even stood and spoke about how surprised they were that they, that they had been so ignorant of these things. Um, for instance, Carl Crow, the Finnefall TD from Clare, talked about speaking to his wife and, you know, his surprise. And, and, and I really admired all, all that honesty. And there was a lot of, and I'll, I'll finish on this, and it, 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 it I mean, I, it, it did feel like a very significant day for me watching it. I was watching it online. There was a lot of reaching out across the floor. It started with the Taoiseach saying, we, you know, we need everybody in on this. And that was, and the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, said the same. And that was reciprocated across the floor. There weren't efforts, not too many anyway, to, to politicise it and to make it a political football and we can just hope and uh, I suppose and keep keep reminding the politicians of the promises, the pledges that they made, that something real will happen this time. Thanks very much, Alison. I'm going to bring you in, Professor Orla Muldoon. Um, you're a professor of psychology. You've written an awful lot about femicide. And I think in recent times, uh, since Ashling Murphy's murder, you have been sort of joining a lot of dots for us about what are all the different things that are connecting into this um, men's violence against women. What are you thinking about today as we move forward? It's a week and it's eight days since since this happened. I guess the, there was two things that struck me subsequent to last night's um, debate and subsequent really to what Alison is articulating there. Um, the first one was that um, a TD uh, said in the doll that um, this needed to be addressed. It couldn't be politics as usual or this wasn't politics as usual. Um, and the second thing is this feeling of inertia that many of us have that we've been here before or the problem is too big and there's nothing we can do. So the one thing I would say is that this could not be more political. It isn't political with the capital P, but it is political. And one of the things that may happen in the coming weeks and days is that the usual fault lines emerge um, around politics. So yes, we can all agree we don't want gender-based violence and we don't want men to be violent on our streets towards women or men. But how we go about that 
is very, very political. Gender quotas are political. Putting women on county councils is political. Making sure that uh, there is positive discrimination in areas where women are underrepresented is political. Making gyms uh, gender segregated. Um, Making sure that men who catcall women are fined. All of these things are highly, highly political. So the idea that somehow that this is outside of politics is really a really a problematic thing to say. And uh, some of the, the reason I say that is because the status quo is always easier. Um, I'm totally with Alison. Uh, the phrase I was using last week was bone weary. I feel as if we've been talking about this and, and certainly someone like me who spends their career studying it. It's like... Could we move on <laughs> to a new problem? Um, so I, I do feel that we've spent a long time and we have lots of solutions. But actually, the big block is willingness to address the issue. And it gets bound up in people who don't want the status quo to change. And that is both men and women. I think that's a really, really important point. Um, and before I move on to Inny and Finian, I just want to get you to remind our listeners what you have uh, been writing about, because I suppose there is this talk about these incidents being random, you know, that being, uh, you know, one bad man comes along and does something. But you, uh, in your whole academic career, that's what you're looking at and studying. And can you talk to us about why that's yeah. not true? Yeah, so if this was a lecture and I was doing my, you know, make sure you remember this, Um If we were talking about this form of violence in a lecture, I would say, make sure in your essay, when you answer me, that you don't call it random. This is asymmetrical violence. If this was random, we would have 200 balls in a lottery drum and every ball would have a chance of coming out every time there was an instance of gender-based violence. So we have 100 pink balls and 100 blue balls. But actually what keeps on happening is that pink balls with the numbers 15 to 35, keep coming out. And the drum and and the entire environs is all blue. And the blue balls are pushing the pink balls out of the drum. If it was the case that every time we ran the lottery, pink balls came out aged, you know, 15 to 35 or 18 to 35, we'd stop buying the tickets. We'd say, this is not random. What we have here is asymmetrical violence. Men kill women. Women much more rarely kill men. People in dominant positions across the world kill more people than minority groups. We can see it in any conflict that you care to look at. So this is asymmetrical violence. So I guess if I wanted one thing for people to take one thing from this podcast is to stop calling it random and start calling it what it is, asymmetrical violence. Well, I think that's, again, another really important point. And we might come back to looking at what exactly that means and where are the parts of the culture and society that we, we need to address. But Inny, I wanted to talk to you. You're, um, I, you've got the weight of all the young people in Ireland <laughs> on your shoulders. You're 20 years old. You're a final um, year student in DCU. I'm really uh, curious to know how you and your friends have been processing this um, in the in the eight days since Ashling's murder and also just generally, even before her, her murder, just the way you go about your lives. So what are the kind of conversations that you're having? Well, the conversations, they're very heavy at the moment. Um, obviously, Ashley Murphy was only 22. She was so young. So the fact that it's someone our age and just that it's it's not random, that it can happen to anyone. And we kind of have this mindset in the back of our heads that it can never really happen to us until it kind of does. But the conversations that we're having is the fact that, as Orla said, like, this isn't random. This gender-based violence is systemic. And the issue that we are really addressing and we're really, I see it a lot on social media and when I'm talking to my friends is that a lot of, um, a lot of men, a lot of, now not all men, but many men, are harboring friends that are violent towards women, that do inappropriate things towards women. They catcall, they spike drinks, they rape girls. And the thing is that these individuals that abuse women, they're not outcasts in society. They're they're friendly people, they're charismatic, they're bubbly, they're very, very popular. So it's when you have a group, your, your lads group, and you know that your friend does these things, you know that they have that mindset, you need to call it out. 
if you don't want to report it to the guards, okay, but call it out. Even warn your female friends, warn other girls that are coming into the group. Let them be known that this person is is not safe to be around. And I think it also kind of comes from this, like even just internalized misogyny and even how we kind of raise our kids, the idea of teach your sons, because we're telling the whole issue, it kind of comes off as women's safety when it's really men's violent so it's it's like okay put the pressure the conversation that we're having right now like even on this zoom call the majority is women that's here it's it's women that are speaking about this problem when it really should be the men talking i know that finian is talking on this but that's just what we're having here it's it's saying that okay girls don't walk late at night don't walk in the dark even though we have to like you can't avoid not working walking in the dark like that's just life but also tell your sons don't hurt these women. Leave them be. If, you, if you're if you walking and the boys can't call, you know, just be like, you know, that's not okay. Don't do that. And it's even like it, it starts from young, but even just a girl walking past a group of lads or even a singular lad. And he's like, oh, I just want to talk to you. But it's dark. It's late. And you're kind of like laughing nervously, just trying to um, get the conversation like quickly over with, because you know that if you reject him, he might get angry and he might attack or you you don't know what will happen so then again it just kind of goes on the girl to be safe by entertaining a conversation that you don't know where it could go um so that's really where young people are i know i can't speak for everybody but that's <laughs> the conversations that we're having and and i was talking to you yesterday just in preparation for the podcast and you had mentioned to me about something that seemed to be getting more prevalent was, and you mentioned it there a bit, the spiking of drinks. I mean, that's something that's very real in your socialising now, that these stories are happening to young women in your group. Yeah, the spiking situation is just absolutely horrendous. And like I said before, you always think that it can never happen to me until it does. I know like one of my really close personal friends actually got spiked at the start of the semester and I was doing a bit more research into it. And I saw that um, cases of spiking like go higher at the start of every academic year. And also with the fact that this academic year had started right after COVID, it was kind of like people were just waiting and planning to do all of these vicious things until they had the opportunity. It was an issue where people were walking around with needles and were spiking girls with needles like in the club or even on campus like places where you should be safe places where you should be able to just like enjoy your life and have a good time and I was also reading that girls were wearing denim jackets because it was difficult more difficult for the um, needle to penetrate through the fabric and it's it's just it's kind of sad in this day and age in this society that you have to think in that mindset you have to think that way before you want to go out and have a nice safe time with your friends and um, the situation was really it was honestly worrying it was scary how high it went and after my friend had gone through that ordeal and she was in the hospital it was just really traumatizing for her um and just talking to other people and it was so common it was like oh yeah this person's been spiked that person's been spiked oh have you not heard like this is a thing i'm like there's no warning there's no training no one's telling you this what about the young girls that are coming from secondary school into college for the first time they they don't know about this whole thing so it's just again like teacher sons because at the end of the day the people that are buying um this ghb gbh whatever it is whatever these drugs are on the dark web or whatever it's so cheap it's like 10 euro you can buy it anywhere but you're doing it with your friends your friends know who is doing this so then again like the conversation really does go away from the girls but more to the guys like you know who your friends are you know what they're up to you know what they look forward to doing and just call them out on it don't don't allow them to do that and not i'm i think i know your answer but just to clarify you haven't heard of any um women going around with these needles and spiking men uh, at night not to my knowledge it's it doesn't seem to be as popular um it really is something that's even talking to some of my male friends they walk around and they say sorry any but we don't really that's not really in our mind that worry isn't something that we have to worry about in this day and age um i'm sure perhaps maybe there are cases um, but not to my knowledge no Okay, well, that's a good time to bring you in, Finian. And again, not putting the pressure of all men on your shoulders, but it was important to us to have a man on the podcast today, because I think um, going back to what Alison was saying, if this is a moment and if it is something that maybe where there is some change, I think one of those changes is going to be more men being involved. And you have for a number of years been trying to get other men to um, to get involved in this. So tell me how you're what you're thinking about at the moment and what you're hearing from your male friends. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Roisin. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, Alison mentioned Av Smith and she was speaking in Dunleary on Saturday night at a vigil. And I think she made that, as she always does, that insightful call that this is a collective effort and that we can work together on this. So I too am hopeful, uh, but we need to do a lot of work. I, we being men, um, I think, you know, it's been talked about quite a lot about uh, how aware have men been about this problem? Um, I think sadly, you know, for me, I'm in my late 30s. I've always been aware of it, but I think we have, I have turned a blind eye at times. And there's been, a, you know, a really important talk about the spectrum that leads to male violence. Um, we're beginning, I think, to recognize that and start unpacking moments that we have turned that blind eye and if we hadn't what could have what could have changed what consequence could have been made so I think if anything what's happened in the in the past week in conversations has been you know men beginning to see the scale and the breadth and the everyday sexism and the compounding effect that that is that's occurring in terms of maintaining the culture of accepting this um and we we are now getting to the stage where we're able to define things that are unacceptable and in in just in preparation for this conversation today i kept on thinking of the phrase that i was going to use over and over i don't mean this in defense but what i would suggest is that we as men have been pretty poor at educating ourselves or being educated about this. Um, and I looked back on research from 2006, where when asked about, uh, you know, sex education or relationships, um, less than half of men, so those men that are now in their 30s and 40s, less than half had actually had a, uh, education about relationships, about how to behave in a relationship, how to express emotions, how to get through negotiations. And of those, very few had actually had a conversation with their dad. Usually it was mum. I had a chat with my mum, but very few other men had a conversation with their father. So there hasn't been this intergenerational transfer of simply how to, on specific situations, um, have a relationship with women. There is these overarching views that we should be respectful, chivalrous, but in certain situations, there hasn't been that, that, I suppose, that guiding voice, that mentorship. And so, you know, my, my five-year-old boy now, uh, you know, in the past week, we've, you know, and, and <clears throat> I've listened to the debate about whether or not to speak to children about this, but I think throughout my relationship with him, I am reminding him that there is a difference, that there is an inequality and it shouldn't be the case. What's delightful about him is he doesn't think that should be either. This is, you know, this is insane to him that this can be the case. Um, but it has to happen over and over again. That's an effortful aspect. I need to educate myself on it. Uh, and if I may just briefly mention then from a peer point of view, Ocean, and we might talk about this further on, um, we need to figure out, uh, you know, the language that we use. I think any your point is so spot on about calling out that behaviour. Um, I'm hopeful because I, I think about, you know, the pathetic behaviour or, or situations of stag weekends. I've been on some great stag weekends. But often a stag is a collection of people that don't know each other. So you have this kind of representative group of lads and you're, you're thrown into this WhatsApp group a week beforehand to organize the logistics. And there'll always be one out of the 10 who will try to, te you know, check the temperature of the water, say a sexist joke or maybe a pornographic material. And majority of people will say nothing back. But then you realize on the stag, maybe two or three will be, begin to call out this guy's behavior. But there's still six people in the middle who say nothing. They are deeply uncomfortable. They know this doesn't represent who they are, but they're not saying anything. So we need to stop this silence and we need to recognize that there are other men 
who will stand beside us and figure out a way to say this is unacceptable and change that. Easier said than done. Um, but I am, I am hopeful. I think, uh, you know, uh, Pro- Professor Louise Crowley's bystander intervention program, bring it on because we need that education. We need ways to be able to call this out. Fidian, just remind people about the bystander um, theory and what that's about, because some people might not have come across it before. So I think there's often, you know, again, thinking about this, you know, you, you, you see an unacceptable um, statement or an attitude or a behaviour um, and, you know, you want to intervene or you want to step in. So it could be, you know, catcalling on the street. Um, you know, you might from a distance ask the, the victim if, if they're OK. Um, you might get an authority involved. Um, you know, it, essentially, it's, it's a way to unpack ways in which you can intervene and support somebody. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, sadly that can often escalate to 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 male violence on on males and that's often the reason why people don't step in but uh, we we have to figure out ways we mm. can we can manage that thanks finian um alison listening to finian there and thinking about men uh you know and maybe your male friends or what are the what are, what are you feeling or is there something different and is the conversation moving on do you feel i guess uh, one of the things that fascinated me listening to finian who i thought um explained uh, his perspective on things really well was even that insight into the I mean when he mentioned the male stag going on a stag I found myself going oh Jesus I hadn't even thought about the stag <laughs> um, and uh, the stories that we have heard over the years uh, and it is I find it really interesting you know to because it is like the mysteries of the male whatsapp group and I have heard various female friends who have wonderful husbands to from what I what I know of them and what I hear about them but even in scenarios like that the sports whatsapp or something like a stag and where they just let it pass I was kind of fascinated to hear Finian say that then maybe when you get when they get together that's when the dynamic is um is established as to who calls them out or or or, or who doesn't um and um I suppose I'm semi-surprised because I was left with more of an impression. I wonder how prevalent that is. And again, this goes back to something that I um, have been thinking over the last few days. You can't, and Orla would know, I'm sure has has looked into this, like as to what is our baseline here? You know, how bad is it? Um, And if that doesn't sound overly negative, I suppose we're just coming out of the the brutal murder of Ashley Murphy. So it feels like things are, are fairly bad. And um, anyway, I think it's important to make that point because there are so many men who are feeling that that there's a bit that that there's a an hysteria has taken hold, that it is, uh, you know, that that men are not going around murdering women in broad daylight uh, willy nilly, as it were, that this is at the apex of of um, a whole host of things at different levels, if you call the ground level of it the cat calling, you know, that sort of thing. And you you move up f- from there. And I think it's also, it's contemporary. It's all the things we have just discussed. And I mean, I sat listening to any as a mother of two girls. Um, and I obviously have heard about spiking, all of that sort of thing. But I mean, my stress levels, <laughs> I mean, and my girls are a couple of years away from, uh, from that sort of socialising, but just... Uh, felt a level of disbelief listening to, to to what she was saying. So there's the contemporary, but I think in Irish society, um, there is also the, the historic in terms of why this tragic episode has had such, you know, has just seemed to light a fire under under Irish women. And if you permit me, Roshin, I sat down the other night uh, to do sort of pretty quickly a list where I thought that put it in context that showed there is a continuum in this and um, uh, for me anyway of 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 why that's the situation. I mean, I'd start with the mother, the mother and baby homes, the mother and child scheme, even some physiotomy, uh, the the dominance of the Catholic Church. Uh, I spoke earlier about uh, you know the doll and even the low level of um, of female TDs. We have women at cabinet. 
the, the political parties who, despite the quotas, you know, just a lot of the time still just do the bare minimum. I was thinking about the IRFU and what we've heard recently of their treatment of, of female players, that when you see the GA Congress meeting every year, it, it looks, I'm sure there's a couple of women in there, but if you look at them, if you look at it, it flashes up on the telly on a Saturday night and it just looks like wall to wall blokes. Um, don't talk to me about the crowd at Port Marnock Golf Club, who only last year decided to admit women. Um, you know, if there's anything guaranteed to get me started, it's those jerks. Uh, it's what goes on in schools with sex education, uh, consent, um, you know, the, the, the fact that religious ethos is allowed now. This, this was a, a real moment for me yesterday in the doll when the Taoiseach said that that would, that that would change. Because Breed Smith stood and said that they had proposed, you know, new legislation. Uh, and, you know, what was the story with that? So I felt like that was quite, quite a moment. And then the, the talking to kids, then I connected it on to handing your child, be it a boy or a girl, a smartphone with access to the Internet where there's access to porn and not speaking to them about it. To me is a is parentally criminal uh, thing to do. Um, I also looked at the media, how women aren't promoted as voices of authority. Uh, it's often as a victim uh, and even about uh, the lack of, particularly in newspapers, of women at senior levels. Um, and, um, you know, that the, 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 there's far, far, far more of that, you know, that the media will be the first to call out the rest of society, uh, but could also do what's looking, uh, looking in its own eye. I mentioned, we've mentioned the WhatsApp groups. I had that in, in my list. I had about the, the bosses that don't, that pay men more and don't promote women as much. Uh, I was saying about the men who have, who refuse to take their heads out of their own posteriors in terms of it's not, it's not all men, making it about them rather than making it about the, the issue. And it's also that it was the, to do with the, um, the huge, I think it's, a lot of it is to do with, or has been to do with, I think, was the levels of alcohol in this country. And that is directly related for me to the levels of domestic violence. And that is then you bring that into the pandemic and how the rates of domestic violence have absolutely exploded. And I think people were very aware of that and the amount of women stuck in their homes the last two years with an abusive partner. And there's a story in the Irish Times today by Mary Carlin saying that less than one in five people accused of a domestic violence offence that came before the Dublin Metropolitan District Courts in 2019 and in 2020 was convicted. So that's less than one in five were convicted. And that's data from the court service. And also that there are significantly more applications to strike out or withdraw domestic violence proceedings. Uh, so that would end them. That's what that basically means. Uh, so significantly more of those before the Dublin courts than for any other type of offences. So, I mean, you just think like what you can, you can have all the policies you like and throw all the resources at it. But if you don't have convictions, you know, you're missing a really key part. And then finally, for me, in my list, and I've had other suggestions from other people uh, on this list, it's Article 41.2 of our Constitution, which is referred to as a woman's place being in the home that is still remains there. And I don't think we're going to be seeing the back of it anytime soon. Yeah, I was hoping that we might be a bit more hopeful on this podcast, but now you've made me all depressed again, Alison. But I'm going to come to you, Orla, no pressure. But uh, it's solutions wise, I mean, you're you've, you're very good at um, articulating the patterns that lead to this across society. And that the fact that it's asymmetrical and systemic, as Innie said, where do you see the most urgent work needs to be done? And Helen McEntee has said, you know, this isn't reactive, this new strategy, this zero tolerance strategy she's come up with. She's been working on it for a year. She seems to have real, as Alison said, fire in her belly about this and a determination. I was very struck by her talking about her young son as well and how she's going to raise him. And it, it seems like Alison was saying very personal at, at, at the moment for, for a lot of the women and the men as well, like Barry Cowan was was very um powerful in his contribution from Tullamore and talking about it's not right that women aren't safe. So so Orla, where do you see the work needs to go now and the real practical stuff that will mean lasting change and will actually make this a watershed moment? Yeah. And I think so, to counter some of the negativity that because I do think that we need to kind of keep our chins up and 
push on because the alternative is to do nothing. So I'd go back to things that both Alison and Finian said about the role of the collective. So I think the biggest single change that we've seen in the last five to 10 years is probably in Innie's generation who are now willing to say that these things have happened to them. So instead of rape and sexual violence being stigmatised and people not that it isn't still t- stigmatized, but, in, you know, people are now saying, no, it's happened to me. So what, what people thought was their individual fault, they're connecting that. So I think what's happening at vigils and in this moment is actually powerful for that reason, because it allows me to connect to somebody else who's had a similar experience. And instead of seeing it as, you know, I was attacked because I wore a short skirt, or I was attacked because I forgot to wear my denim jacket or whatever nonsense reason you can you can do to individualize the issue that people begin to see the pattern and that they see that what's going on so i guess one of the biggest things we could do um is relocate the source of the problem and it, it is men's violence whether it's violence against women or violence against men but it is men's violence so my first suggestion is that we stop Um, asking women about how much violence they have experienced, because we know that they've experienced a lot now. And instead, we start asking men, how much violence have they perpetrated? So the estimates in the UK are that one in 10 university students admit to date rape. And that is really akin to what Finian said, that in a WhatsApp, there's one in 10. Um, So I think it's really interesting and we should start looking at what is actually driving that behaviour in men. What what is it that is supporting that sort of behaviour? And I guess the other thing I would say is, and, you know, I love now hashtag, so I'm going to go with it, (laughs) is um, one of the things in the research that we do is um, it's very clear that women that aren't believed have much more severe mental health outcomes. So a big thing all men and all women could do is believe her. When she says what happened to her, believe her. Because certainly in the last week, when I haven't been called a feminazi or an angry feminist, I've been called hysterical. So we often move to these tropes where where we actually undermine women's mental health or undermine their ability or their competence. Um, And one of the things that you find is that women who go into the judicial system and have rotten experiences in there, um, that they tend to have much poorer mental health outcomes. And then the last thing I would say, building on Alison's point, is that the judiciary is a problem. Um, Certainly... Um, there is lots of evidence that we need education and training in those who are involved in the implementation of justice. And I think there are probably, considering how many cases are getting to court around rape and now we're seeing domestic violence, we actually need to really question how it is that people secure a conviction. Um, In work that we did, it's about five or six years ago, um, one of the um, family law judges, these would have been progressive people who agreed to be interviewed. um, One of the judges used the phrase ordinary, decent domestic violence to refer to um, family law cases in in his court. So I think we have a long, long way to go with the judiciary. And I put that into the I believe her regime because some of what we do in the court system is we require women to repeatedly demonstrate that what they say is true. Um, So I think we need to really enact the, and I think women as well as men need to believe her. That sounds like a huge, huge mountain to climb, Orla. I don't want to go down the pessimistic route though, but do you feel uh, that this moment that we're having and uh, the the court service particularly being highlighted with the domestic violence and it's not just that it's the rape cases it's the, the low convictions in that across the board is there a sense do you think that that this might change 
yeah, we can we can tinker around the edges or we can go full throttle. I mean, I, I, I'm happy for either. I do think, to go back to the positive, I do think that there has been change. For someone of my generation, the idea that you would admit to have been raped was just, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know if I could have told my parents. Um, whereas I think now that there is an understanding that actually it isn't the fault of the woman if she's raped. So I do think there has been change and the strength comes from each other. The strength comes from revealing the patterns and seeing that you've experienced it and I've experienced it. And we've too many of us have had this experience and from finding that there are men who are saying, no, this isn't an exit. I don't don't include me in that number. I'm I don't want to be. That is not the Ireland I want. I want an Ireland where we are all safe. So I, I, I really, you know, I really do think that we have progress, but it is slow. Um, I think there are things we could change in the court system, you know, quite quickly. I think we could, introduce, you know, people are always um, very quick to say, oh, we need to change what's taught in the schools. Do you know, stop making children be the one to deliver the change. Why don't, why don't the adults lead? You know, why don't the leaders lead? The new Safe Ireland Survivor Fund, in partnership with Airbnb, enables Safe Ireland to contribute to sustainable supports for women and frontline services and to provide focused actions for children. You can play a critical role in helping to protect more women and children from abuse. Donate directly to your local domestic violence service or to the national work of Safe Ireland. Go to www.safeireland.ie for more information. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Just one one man had a suggestion, Innie. I'd be interested to see what you think of this. Michael Healy Ray was talking about legalising mace so that women can carry mace around with them and they'll be able to spray off their attackers and everything will be fine then. What do you think about that? What would your friends say about that suggestion? Um, legalising mace in Ireland, I think it would be... I feel like it could go both ways. Um, I know that mace is legal in other countries and it's not like it's completely eradicated the problem. The problem is still very prevalent. So I don't think that that's 100% the way to go. Um, but it would I kind of have a bit of a reassurance. I think I would like to walk with mace in my bag. I would like to have that just even if you're in a close encounter and you just don't feel safe. Yeah, it would be a nice way to go, but it's definitely not the one thing that is going to completely eradicate the issue. And Dini, just on that then, because you're 20, so walking around now, just tell me a bit about that. I'm really curious because mm. I, I wasn't expecting you to say that. You actually feel you would feel a bit more comfortable walking around oh, with, yeah. with some kind of weapon, essentially, in your oh, bag. Yeah. Well, girls walk around with their keys in their hand already on guard. Like, that's something that's already being done. Um, Walking around, like... Even in the daylight, it's it's just like when you are approached by someone that like it's it's trust your gut instinct um, that if you feel off, you know, just to kind of protect yourself. But even being like to take intersectionality into the situation, being a black woman walking in Dublin city centre and then a white man randomly screams, go back to your country. I don't know if he has a knife with him. I don't know if he has something else with him. I don't know if he's just being a bigot. So it's like, oh my gosh, ignore, put your head down, run to the bus, run home, whatever it is. Or like, 
some people might turn around, but the, you're told not to ever confront or not to ever engage, just to take it as it is and go home because what else can you do? Because like I said, you don't know if they have a knife or or whatever it is. You don't know their intentions. So it's just, it's it's really like, it's sad, obviously, to not be able to kind of feel safe walking or jogging in that time of the day or any time of the day really especially when there's like kind of larger groups of people as well but it's just something that you kind of have to head on that's how I feel like even to this day like I'm 20 and ever since I just started going outside my dad will always be at me it's dark it's late get home get home where are you I'm like why are you saying this let me live let me be um but my younger brother who's doing the exact same thing he's not getting shouted at to get back home because and I asked my dad I was like why why is it one rule for me one rule for him and he simply replied because he's a boy and that's just it. And obviously, like, that's not fun, but that's the society that we live in. So, yeah, walking around with your keys in your hand or walking around on the phone to a friend, your earphones are in, but the music is not playing because you have to be aware of your surroundings. All these things that we do, having your location on so that somebody knows where you are at every point of the day. Um, It's just preventative measures, but they can only go so far um at the end of the day it's it's sad but it is what it yeah. is thanks very much for that and i'm really glad you brought in the intersectional aspect as well because that's a whole other uh, not yeah. it shouldn't be another conversation it's part of this conversation and anybody who's uh, different or minority or any of that gets all of these things much worse and we need to keep that in our mind as well um finian i think you and i were at the same event that catla moran did one time where she was talking about how men need to have a movement that women have been brilliant at organizing themselves and being passionate about these subjects and really making change. But men need to get on board and realise that they can come together, going back to the collective. You started on Farella a few years ago, trying to reach out to men. Tell us about that and about the possibility in your eyes, whether it's something that could happen where men could have some kind of positive movement to take action on these things we've been talking about. I think it should happen. Um, But uh, we're really bad at talking about this stuff. Um, It's not an excuse, but we have to. Uh, so it's it's I look, I'm ambitious, I'm hopeful, but I think it's going to be a slow burner. Um, that said, um, I am hopeful because I think particularly in Ireland, men are primed for this. We have been forced to understand the other experience. You know, we've we've you know my generation has been through two momentous referendum about marriage equality and repeal where it's been put in front of us you know this is the this is the world beyond us and uh you know i say that as a cis white man and i think we're beginning to um figure out how we can kind of understand the world through a different lens and that is that is why i'm hopeful and you know there's been events like the belfast rape trial which you know instigated so many conversations amongst my peers and that was i think you know you know a moment like that where you could bring this up you know across a point and debate it you know there's been heated debates um and that is where we figure out a consensus um but in terms of the movement aspect of erosion i think you know the first step to being involved in a kind of mobilization side of it is at the individual level. And so there's the inward and the outward. And I think from an inward perspective, I'm still doing it. I think we all need to start looking at those moments where, you know, to, to, to Orla's point, you know, how have you contributed to violence? How have you been aggressive? How have you raised your voice? We have all done it because that's what we were told as, as, as young men, boys will be boys the worst you know phrase in the world that is acceptable that's the way you address we have we have two default emotions grand and anger um and we need to figure out you know what is the spectrum why are we feeling like this and then to cool it down and i think that's this that's going to be uncomfortable you know i've been thinking about moments you know in my 20s where I didn't say anything where I participated through silence or I participated through a contribution. Uh, once we acknowledge that, I then, you know, we can bring those anecdotes and say, remember that time when, yeah, you know, I wonder how they feel now. What could we have done differently? 
And I do think there is a willingness. It'll take it'll take time, but you know, I've listened to the women's podcast for years. So I um, love you, Finian. You know, You're so the men great. Listening to, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I presume I'm not the only one, Rosie. I, I don't know but, about you know, that. <laughs> to, the, to, to the lads listening in, like the, the, I think you know the, the the beauty of the patriarch is it convinces us all that we're going to get to the top of the bullshit pyramid scheme. And um, it's not. We're, we're all being uh, sucked into the lie. And so to those that are listening, like, you know, there are there are other ways of being a decent guy out there. And, you know, to, to any like like I, I, I look forward to today where we can walk down the street and just nod and smile at each other and know that we're both coming from a good place. Um, and, you know, that that's the hope that we can get through this because there's enough of us out there to make this change. Gorshin, can I ask you, one of the things I'm really curious about that, that Orla would be in a place to, to answer. And actually, before I do that, Orla, just to say to you sort of journalistically in terms of selling your message, I made a note here that you mentioned earlier about asymmetrical violence. You academics are going to have to come up with a yeah. different term. That's shocking. No one knows what that, no one will identify I'm with so that. I'm so glad you said that, Alison, because I just said it there back to Orla. And even as I was saying it, I was like, I, all I can see is lottery balls, but I can't really remember yeah, yeah. what she's talking about. But so that's, a, you know, you can go back to us at that, Orla. Uh, and I could I could listen to you to listen to you all day. But one of the things I've been wondering about, and it's going back kind of to the list and even the more historic stuff and the place of, of women, like how do we rate compared to other comparable you know, countries, how bad are we? How bad are we? Lord, did you just listen to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, I'll take the hit for asymmetrical violence, but I'd like to say how good are we and how good could we be? Um, Fair enough. (laughs) On some of the the comparators, like if if you take something like the World Value Survey or some of these big or even the European Social Survey, uh, we're not as good as the Scandinavians, but we're not as bad as the Polish. But of course, one of the issues around all of this is that there is serious underreporting. Um, so sometimes a very good country can look like a bad country because they report well, if I'm making yeah. sense. So because, that, you're docu- yeah. because you're documenting everything, you look like you have a lot of an issue, but actually what you have is excellent transparency. I, w- I want to know how full or empty everyone's glass is about this topic, really. Um, and we've kind of had a little bit of talk about hope and change and stuff. But I want to ask you, Alison, specifically as someone who monitors the political life in this country so closely, what you think about the Helen McEntee sort of proposed strategy and whether that, you know, being in the Department of Justice exclusively, you know, all these around uh, all the legislation that's going to come in. She's she's already said about the, the non-fatal strangulation that she's going to make that a crime and the stalking stuff. So it does seem to be quite practical and it's all going to be start kicking off in the next few weeks. And it's going to, it sounds like, have huge ramifications across a lot of areas. Are you um, hopeful on that, that that will actually see change and yeah. make things better. I, I, yeah, I'd just like to start by saying that I'm even far more generally hopeful after this conversation and the importance of broadening it out. And, um, you know, I was already a fan fan of Orla's, but listening to, to Finian and Any and getting the different, the younger perspective, as Any said, as a, her experience as a, as, as a young black woman, Finian's experience of it's the importance of that the incredible importance of hearing you know different voices and that we're not just talking to ourselves uh, and that that you educate yourself so yes going back to the the political thing to, to, to try and make now as Atishik said yesterday you know you can have all the change in the world but it's it's the culture you know culture will eat law and all of that for breakfast unless you you work at that point so it's I think I think it's a good thing. I mean, out of a horrible tragedy is a good thing that we had. We happened to have this new uh, government programme plan due out in a couple of weeks time so that there's this new impetus behind it, that the Department of the Taoiseach is going to have an overarching role, that Helen McEntee talked about the zero tolerance. And I think Helen McEntee is feeling it very strongly herself as a woman. And even, and this fits to what, any telling her story and, and Orla saying that younger women are, even Helen McEntee speaking about feeling unsafe herself 
I think that that's that's of her generation that she was that that she she as a minister that she she spoke she spoke of that, you know the announcement of more refuge places. Um, I think uh is really important, but going back to what I said earlier, the fact that it swept through the Dáil Chamber that there would be that there was agreement on this. Uh, and even that you have a, a gender a committee on gender that was set up in the Iraq this recently to push through the assembly our recent citizens assembly the recommendations and I mean it fascinates me to think that that was not due to discuss um, violence against women gender based violence until they got enough public submissions saying you just you have to so that that's there that that's there as well um, so I think on a whole host of levels but yes. Will the system have to be held accountable? Will we have to keep coming back to that reminding? I mean, it'll be a horrible thing that this time next year, uh, minus a week on Ashling Murphy's anniversary, we will be looking back to see what has what has been done. Yeah, well, I think we should definitely do that. I'm glad we've made you more hopeful and I uh, hope that continues and you don't plummet back into the depths of despair again. Uh, I'm going to come to you, Orla, as well. How's your glass looking at the moment? It's looking, I suppose, I would call myself a realist. So it looks like there's a bit of water in it. Do you know whether that's full or empty? I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is getting very so, existential now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd never ask the nerd on. Um, so I guess, you know, we've had cross-party agreements before. Think of Slauncha Care. Do you know, like cross-party agreements won't necessarily... Um, deliver i i totally agree with alison around the culture is eating everything else um for breakfast and i think that's probably where we need you know how do we do things around here but as well as national level culture or male culture or female culture we also have subcultures and i think one of the interesting things that finian refers to there is you know the the one in 10 and what happens when that one in 10 finds a second fella in the whatsapp group or a third fella you know how did we end up with the whatsapp group like the one that was talked about at the belfast rape trial so we actually that's actually where we need to really worry people find each other easier now online so i think actually we need to think about how it is we uh, crack those kind of bubbles that can be kind of curses around uh, change so that those groups can cause a lot of damage. I do think we can get power from each other and that is cultural too. And I think we should continue to do that. But we need to be aware of these subcultures that can grow, that can actually be very damaging. Um, And I think we need legislation around all of this online stuff. I know we haven't spoken much about that, but to me, we have a whole area where people, women mostly, are being abused um, in terms of videos being taken and shared and all of this. And it's actually even difficult to get that viewed as a complaint, Mm. as a as a as a crime. So um, and that they sustain those subcultures, those problematic subcultures. So I don't know. I continue to I continue to drink, and I will continue to push because I think the 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 alternative is to do nothing, and I just don't think that's an option. No, that's absolutely true. Any, what about you? I mean, you're a young woman. You're out there. You're you know perhaps sort of coming up against a lot of what we're talking about more than maybe we are. I'm in my house most of the time, to be honest. (laughs) I don't get out much, any. So are you feeling like this whole conversation? I mean, at the same time, there's a grieving family, you know, maybe none of this is going to do any good to them. But I did notice at the the funeral mass there, I was very struck that um, Ashling's cousin, I think she was English, she actually in the prayer of the faithful um, mentioned men's violence against women and hoped that this might see a sort of a something different happening. So it, I presume it's very much on, on their minds as well as everything else they're going through at the moment. So how do you see it? Do you think this is a moment of change that might something might happen? I definitely think that in this era that we live in, this digital era, where we have 
we're able to communicate with people on a worldwide level. I feel like awareness and conversation and just breaking stigma is so, so important. Having conversations such as the Me Too movement is so, so huge. Just being able to share your stories and know that it's not just you. I know that this is happening and bring conversations just amongst your friends. Like you would be very surprised what the butterfly effect that comes from just talking to one person and it changes their mindset and how they go about things so honestly my glass is always half full i <laughs> am always looking at the positive side of things um i just like to i like to hope for a better future and the future is like is our generation and the generation below us you know like just how we think about things how we go about the future and just what we accept as what is okay and the thing is that we are allowed to accept what is okay we draw the line we draw the boundaries and i feel like that we need to emphasize that we as women we have so much power as well and that's another thing that i feel like we're underestimated for it we have a lot of power we can we can decide what's shit to take and what shit not to take so i think that that's a line that needs to be drawn and just to emphasize that in schools in family homes and amongst friends any i love that because you know <laughs> during all this this what's happened um you inevitably i'm sure allison's been doing i know kathy sheridan wrote a brilliant piece yesterday yeah. i'm sure orla you have the same thing we reflect on all the things that have happened to us and the shit we did take any i mean i i was thinking about you know stuff that happened in christmas parties work related things that were just that w- went on and you never got to say hang on this is absolutely terrible you just had to swallow it down and carry on and this week i had two male friends employer employers um ringing me to just talk to me about um incidences that had happened in the workplace around men's very inappropriate behaviour to women. And in both cases, those men have been fired immediately without any equivocation. It was just bring them in. Did you do this? Yes, you did. Well, you're out. See you at the door. And I was absolutely like amazed that that's the way. I know that's not in all workplaces, but certainly that would have been unthinkable, you know, even 10, Well, I can can confirm having been at some of the same Christmas parties as you (laughs) were. I think we're getting a bit, bit we get a bit worried. Yeah, but now. you know, I, I want to say, with, I don't want to sound patronizing, right, to to any. But I mean, I'm just watching her and thinking, wow, you know, if this is you at twenty, I'm dying to see what you're you're going to be at at thirty, and it, that's given me such optimism to to hear to hear that, and I think that you know that 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 any and her generation have that optimism gives gives me hope. Yeah. And, you know, we have to also mention, I didn't say it to you, Alice, you know, she's a final year law student. So isn't that good? I wondered. I wondered. <laughs> Fantastic law, definitely to, to the benefit of the of, of the legal profession. Well, I think oh, in, thank you. I think in the spirit of um, the way this conversation has been going, we should leave the last word to Finian, the man on the panel. <laughs> uh, where is your glass? There's water in Orla's. How's yours looking? Yeah, I think you know, the, it's, it is, I think it's, it, it, to find a better word, but I'll use excited and enthused, you know, you know, when, when I attended the vigil on, on Saturday night, it was obviously uh, a moment of reflection, but, you know, the volume and the, div, the, the growing diversity, not enough, I, I don't think, but definitely the more, the greater representation of men in, in the group and the crowd, um, is built on the back, I think, of particularly young women over the past decade working really hard to address the social issues in, in our society. Um, and, you know, that's that's a very exciting moment, not just on, on this important issue, but on so many. So I can't but be hopeful, but I think, you know, to Orla's point about being a realist, um, we have to we have to work. There has to be an effort on this. So, you know, whether you're doing this for people you know or doing this for the collective good, you have to do something. Um, and I'll, you know, like a broken record, say again, there's plenty of men out there. But, you know, let's check ourselves and make this a conversation as much as I despise talking about football on a Monday morning as normalized as that because if we can call out you know our football team's poor you know game on a Saturday so too can we talk about the behavior of of a friend or an attitude that they're expressing um and it's 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 gradual but like everyday sexism I think it has to be 
everyday address as well. So, um, yeah, let's say it's let's say it's half full and we'll right, fill well, it up. Mine's half full too because that's the way I am. But I'm also, as Alison said, really hopeful after this conversation. I'm really grateful to you all for being so interesting and reflective and thoughtful on this subject. And I just want to finish with Finian's recent tweet, actually. He said in relation to Ashling Murphy, this is all men. This is every single one of us. Each one of us is a role model to other men. In our lives, all of us have been sexist and this allows for evil abuses, assaults and murders of women to happen. This needs to end. Men need to stop being violent. It is on us men. So thanks, Finian, for coming on and thanks to all of you for talking about this. And I would like to propose a date um, on that sad anniversary in a year. Let's Let's come together and see what has happened and whether what we hoped did come true or and how much that strategy has worked because I think it will be very interesting to do that. Um, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks, thank Roshi. You so Thanks, Roshi. <laughs> That's all we have time for. Thanks so much to Alison O'Connor, Professor Orla Muldoon, Inieki Olu and Finian Murphy and do let us know your thoughts on what's been going on at the moment and the, the reflections that are going on in houses up and down the country. We'd really like to hear your input and any aspects of this subject that you'd like us to cover in more detail, we're we're all ears. Uh, you can get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 